0: Hello, folks. Time for another walking video project, and I just wanted to show you these rice fields uh, because I just had a little lunch, and I was eating rice, and uh, looking out over rice field while I'm eating rice made me think of uh, food, our food supplies, and uh, you know how how important they are. We talk about essential industries and improving the essence of food itself and uh, I have a few little things to say about relocalizing our food supply because in a lot of ways that's another one of those risk factors. And as I've been watching uh, the issues in the United States, I'm I'm here in Bali, Indonesia right now. I I, uh, was here coaching some vegan entrepreneurs and it's a very vegan. It's one of the kind of the vegan centers, a lot of vegan restaurants, and uh, look at all that rice. <laughs> a lot of rice here, and uh, you know people here are not too worried about food because the fruit and the rice—it's all grown. <clears throat> it's all just grown locally, so uh, there wasn't really. There's not a whole lot of expectation that there would be, or a whole lot of concern about uh, the food supply being interrupted uh with everything else and what i've I've been reading of course the news from the u.s i'll be back there soon and reading the daily reports and you know concerns about uh food you know supermarket workers and other people who are vital to the supply chain in the u.s going on strike and so you know i feel like In a way, the US has a very robust food supply because we get it from all over the world, but at the same time, uh, it can be very easily interrupted. And also, this kind of uh, organization of our food, first of all, leads to the kind of uh, mass shenanigans of capitalism at the high end and and capitalism 2-0. Like I said, I'm talking about capitalism one, I mean capitalism 3.0. So uh, one of the books that I enjoyed reading uh, by a woman named Joan Dai Gasau, or Gasau, is uh, it's called This Organic Life. And she explains that uh, if you eat a strawberry in New York that was grown in California you're getting 100 calories of oil to grow and ship that for every i think 10 calories of actual food and you know this is a this is the structure really of uh, so much of uh, the global economy and So and, and of course the oil industry is probably at the top of the, at the top of the heap in terms of enterprises that have been able to externalize the cost of what they do. So it can make it very challenging to create a local economy when oil is so massively subsidized or and favored by the laws that they have uh, created laws and favorable policies over now a century of growth so how do you overcome that well first of all A lot of even despite all this there's a things like the farmers market movement that's always exploding I love farmers markets wherever I find them and uh, so people are trying to make local produce it's uh, it can be a little bit you know it's a challenge I know for anybody because first they're growing which is hard work and then they have to go to the market Uh, but I've never seen anybody at the farmers market long term selling fruits and vegetables that was unhappy. At least not, I mean, not on market day. Uh, so what do I want to say about all that? Um, let's say they wanted to grow, though. Again, the same set of issues. The kind of financing for a farm, you're not going to get that from a venture capital firm. And yet, it's so worth doing. So. I'm going to talk a little bit about different kind of investment. You know, we need to have a number of different investment styles if, as vegans and environmentalists, we're going to change the world. You know, not everything is going to be a giant ramp-up. <clears throat> but the thing is, practically, most people who are engaged in the stock market, they're just hoping to get 5 or 6% annual return. That's the return of the Standard & Poor's 500. So... That's not that hard to achieve if you're doing a direct financing between the public and the, um, the entrepreneur. So that kind of return on investment is much more easy to return uh, when you're investing in things like local food supply. <clears throat> uh, more, more motorcycles, oil industry at work. So I'm not saying that you know one thing I always had a little problem with with uh, there's a, there's always like the small is small is beautiful, which I agree. But does that make big bad? Not necessarily. I mean we've got big problems in the world. And so in some you know, the like what what really is big? Can we solve the big problems? Well, let's let's take an example. For example, a lot of people would like to see a vegan fast food chain succeed. And, you know, is it better to see a thousand restaurants in, in some kind of a franchise that are all branded the same? Or is it better to see a thousand vegan restaurants all independently owned and each with their own creative style? And I'm saying the. The, the demand, the need is endless. Why are we picking and choosing? There's enough money to do both now, right now. So let's say you're investing locally and now you're wanting to build, you know, help some of these local farmers expand their footprint. You know, there's so many local food entrepreneurs, almost every every city in the U.S. And again, they're, they're really got their, you know, they're, Their hands tied at least you know one tied behind their back because all the way down to the local level the laws have been created to favor the companies that externalize the cost of their production to make more profit so if we've got a bunch of local investors those local investors can also be going to uh the city council's and other kinds of uh, political areas, and you know, political um, arenas, and analyzing those laws. There's been a lot of analysis of the laws done already. There's nonprofits that have big lists of every law that favors the oil companies and things like that. I mean, it's just time for this stuff to be levelized. We're just asking for a level playing field. And if you're investing in the local economy, then it makes sense to go to the local, you know, the politicians at that level and say, hey, you know, this is my retirement account, and these laws are hurting my ability to retire. And by the way, they also hurt the local economy and all these different things, and make your case. And uh, that's another way to start bending the economy back to what I'll call normal. Uh, Here's another really fascinating example that I learned uh, when I first got started in this whole thing. (laughs) I was living in uh, Spokane, Washington. Excuse me, I was living in Idaho in a little town called Moscow, Idaho. And actually, there's a couple stories I want to tell about this. So the first one, though, is that Uh, I met a woman in Spokane, Washington, which is a much bigger city, about 80 miles to the north of Moscow, Idaho. And she was running uh, really a a very professionally run, what's commonly called uh, CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. And so people, in in CSAs, people pay a fixed monthly fee in order to get uh, their produce delivered. And so what she discovered, she was trying to relocalize the economy and also get as much organic food as possible. And uh, this is so, this is so funny to hear. So Eastern Washington, where Spokane is, is one of the world's most productive uh orchard areas peaches apples and so she went to the and and yet she noticed in the grocery stores that all the peaches were coming up from California which also grows a lot of peaches but she went to these but she was wondering why weren't there any peaches in the grocery stores that were grown like literally within a hundred miles of Spokane or closer and what she discovered is that the peaches were being exported from Washington down to California and Washington peaches were being imported from California back to Spokane. So, sorry about all the traffic. I didn't quite expect this. It's been really quiet. Um, So you can see how how crazy that is that's insane that peaches are being shipped to california from next door basically and then you want to get a peach in your own grocery store and you're getting some rock in from california so she made a purchase order you know she made purchase agreements with the local uh, fruit producers and served her clientele and um You know, that was a classic business that could be scaled, a business model that could be scaled nationally in the U.S. You know, people were so, you know, it was profitable, it was scalable. But she, like many entrepreneurs like her, bootstrapped and weren't familiar with either finance or other models. I could probably find her again. I just haven't talked to her in, in over a decade. Uh... These are these are really when you start looking, you see all these opportunities to run an effective business, even in today's climate, even with all the subsidies and policies that favor the other industries that are, uh, you know, externalizing the cost of their business model. Even with all that, there's so many things that are working now, and. So this is how you create a positive feedback loop. You're just like, okay, what works now? What's close to working? Almost like a, almost like maybe a, well, prioritization, prioritization. And now one of the fascinating things when I lived in Moscow, which showed me the demand. This is what really. I'd been working on this before I even moved there, but um, it's a. It's a small town with about 10,000 people and then a college, 10,000 residents and a college. And about eight miles away was another area called uh, Pullman, Washington, and that had another maybe 10,000 residents and another college. So this is in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. And one of the reasons that we moved there is it had this great food co-op. That was really important uh, to my family at the time to have access to a good supply of organic food and um so what was really cool was that the co-op uh suddenly there was an old safeway store that had become vacant it had been a sporting goods store for years and they they closed and now there was basically a big grocery store and the the board of the co-op you know they were they were always jammed there was almost no room to operate in this small storefront they had and so they said they wanted to move and they needed to raise a million dollars and so they created a uh, an unsecured million dollar note which is a loan a note is a loan paying one percent interest and it's like doesn't say you know to normal banks that doesn't sound so good right only one percent interest high risk and they sold it to you know co-op members and people in the city in the cities, in the region, that they raised a million dollars from these 20,000 adults in literally two weeks. That just shows you how much people want to have uh, projects in their investment portfolio that, that speak to their heart, and yet we have this challenge. We have this challenge in finance that heart-centric people rarely get into finance. That's why it's taken me so long to make things boot up because, you know, I'd probably rather sit and look at a tree or look at a field of rice or eat fruit. But I know we have to do it because if we relegate finance to people that don't care, then we're just going to keep getting more and more of the same. And... So my vision for Vegan Launch is actually uh, developing a number of leaders. Like it's taken me a long time to learn what I do. If I just learned regular finance, you could learn that maybe in a couple of years at a business school. But the kind of finance we're doing, it's, it's all regular in a way, but we're mixing and matching tools that most people are not using in this field or in any field, to be honest. I mean... I've discovered all kinds of approaches, from looking at all kinds of solutions, and again, the majority of the things that work are not being run through VC funds. They work in this way, you know, the venture capital funds, the vegan venture capital funds. They're really strong on uh, what's called consumer packaged goods, so things that are really you know kind of cool, vegan cheese, for example, stuff like that, and they're also you know strong on. Replacing things like, uh, you know, creating substitutes for core, anil- core products that are typically made from animals like things like gelatin and other, other kinds of, you know, animal products that have been mainstreamed into chemistry. I mean, you know, a lot of the pills that you get from the pharmaceutical companies have, have animals in them. So there's a you know there's a lot of opportunities. I, I, they're doing good work. I'm not saying the VCs are doing good work, but they just they're really only working on the kinds of industries where they can really get an explosive return on investment um, if it works. And I'm for that too. Uh, you know, as we as we grow, those kinds of opportunities are they've already come through. I can't say what's come through because, you know, these are private offers. I can't tell you some of the cool things I've seen, but I can say that uh, there's been some real unicorns that have already come through. (laughs) Vegan launch, that's all I can say about it. So, you know, when we go out holistically, when we go out and look at veganism as a whole sector rather than a kind of a narrow opportunity We get all kinds, you know, the 1% unsecured loan and uh, the high flying, uh, the high flying unicorn. So I think that's, those are some of the interesting stories. I just wanted to share my enthusiasm, Uh, you know, relocalizing the economy has so many other potential benefits. for the you know the vegan movement as well as the environment. But certainly we you know the oil industry is just the biggest threat to everything, pretty much. And everything that we can do along those lines, as long as it's vegan, is likely gonna be a good a good thing. And especially in our food supply. You know, so what we talked about today, local food supply, uh, you know, certain kinds of Infrastructure process challenges like the example in uh, Spokane and I'll tell you one more example because we you know friends of mine and I were looking at uh, in Moscow, Idaho why can't we eat more local food there was so much organic food grown in the southern part of the state which is a little more the climate is a little warmer it's a huge food producing area organic food and all that was really missing was a warehouse there need to be some transit organized to move the food from, you know, maybe 100 miles away or 200 miles away into the city instead of again all the way from California. And if we go back to that first example, if we were really to analyze our food supply based on the caloric input of oil relative to the, you know, nutritional calories, that's really a sign of just how disastrous uh, the U.S. food supply in many Western countries, the you know industrialized nations, are just shipping stuff all over. And and the thing that was so cool about this book, she analyzed. There was a time when the U.S. wasn't like that, and she said even the cold climate countries like uh, cold climate um, states like Montana, at the very northern part of the U.S., before this kind of uh, food. Consolidation, industrial consolidation. That even Montana produced something like 50% of their own food locally. And I think that's a real measure. Back then, we were talking about this. Is like, you know, universities and big food buyers should be really. There should really be uh, data, like how local is your food supply, how organic. And when you think of that now, if you think of that at scale. That could be a relatively high-flying company, a company that is tracking using data to help relocalize the food supply for these large buyers, you know, the institutional food buyers. So that gives you a little snapshot of one sort of holistic approach, and this is why we need to really work on a lot of things at once. It's it's. Um, we just need more and more people who are learning what i've learned what i want to share with you and then going and going into a state or a country and looking for these kind of opportunities because they're in every country And, and it's just amazing how many opportunities there are wherever you are there's opportunities to uh, you know, relocalize, improve the food quality, and so obviously that's one of the biggest industries of, of concern to vegans. And then use that whole process as a way of educating people about uh, the vegan ethics. So this and now we've got a whole industry of transforming, teaching, growing—a mix of you know, low return investments and a few unicorns sprinkled along. So I hope you enjoyed my walk as much as I did. I'm basically looking at the road from this rear view mirror of the the phone. I've got my selfie stick here. Uh, Thanks for watching and I look forward to seeing you in the next video.